Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. I'm Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we want to give you a very special welcome. If you'll provide your email address for us, we will send you a gift card and this week, coffee is on us. This is week five of our sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. Speaking of the sermon, we have online sermon discussion questions and more at schweitzer.church next. We invite you to follow along with us. Next up is Corey with our announcements. Hi, I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. It's a new month and there is a lot happening here at Schweitzer that we would love for you to be a part of. Coming up in two weeks, on Sunday, February 19th from 6 to 8 p.m., we are hosting a seminar called Christ and Culture. Dr. Tracy McKenzie, a history professor from Wheaton College, will lead our time together as we discuss how to love God and each other in every aspect of our lives. You'll hear more about this later on in the service. This afternoon at 2.30, we will begin a new session of Grief Share. This is a video-based group discussion that helps people navigate the death of a loved one. It's an encouraging and safe place to figure out what life looks like after loss. Sign up or learn more at schweitzer.church griefshare or by stopping by the Blue Booth today. Next Saturday, February 11th at 1130, we will be hosting a luncheon for widows and widowers. This will be a special time together as we gather and encourage one another. Learn more or sign up today at the Blue Booth. You may have heard that the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl next Sunday. And to celebrate the big game, we are asking for your help in stocking up the Flourish Food Pantry, a weekly ministry that helps serve hundreds of people. Pick up a bag and a list of needed items on your way out today and bring it back next Sunday for our one week only superfood drive. Once again, we are so glad you're here today. Now, let's continue in worship. Thanks, Corey, for sharing all the different ways we can be connected. If you're worshiping live with us today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. If you're in need of prayer, we have someone waiting in the prayer room just for you. Just press that prayer button and they'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship. Scarlet sins had a crimson cause 
and nail my dead to that old rugged cross, and empty slave at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess I've been.
scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. An empty slate at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. As we come to this time of prayer, I would like to start us with some words from Psalm 51. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are in awe of who you are. We thank you for the blessings of each day. And Lord, now we ask you to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. We so many times fail you with our actions or our words. Sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reasons. So Holy God, be with us and provide that strength that only you can give that will enable us to serve you with a good heart and the right spirit. God, we pray for those who are hurting today, those who are hospitalized, those who are ill, those who are facing diagnoses that are frightening, those who are, are without loved ones, those who are lonely, God, be with them, protect them, give them hope, give them strength, and wrap your arms around them. And now, God, we want to continue in prayer by praying silently. Holy God, we thank you that you have the power to create a clean heart in each one of us. You have the power to renew our spirit. What a joy that is to know. And God, we want to pray now the prayer that you taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we want to share about some of the great things that are happening here at Schweitzer. Today, we want to focus on our kids' ministry. And now, here's Stephanie Taylor to share more. Hey guys, I'm Stephanie Taylor, and I'm the director of kids' ministry here at Schweitzer. And I am so excited to share with you what's been happening here on campus. Wednesday Night Kids and Route 56 are in full swing, and the kids are loving it. Their energy levels are so high when they get here, and surprisingly, even higher when they leave. Sorry, parents. <laughs> With that being said, it is so great to see God work in the lives of these children through these ministries here at Schweitzer. We are always looking for ways to encourage kids and families in our community by hosting things like family movie nights. Our next one is Friday, February 24th. Bring some friends and we hope to see you there. Thank you so much for your support and generosity that helped make ministries like this possible. If you would like to know more about how to be on the kids team, 
reach out to me or come see me at the kids' desk after the service. Thanks, Stephanie, for sharing about our great kids' ministry. Thank you for supporting the ministries that happen inside and outside the walls here at Schweitzer Church. We want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church/give. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week five of our sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part five of our series called Why is the World the Way That It Is? We are, are spending this, the start of this year um, looking back at the very few first few chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11. So instead of looking ahead, we're looking back, way back, all the way back to the beginning. And as we do this, what we see in these first few chapters of the Bible is this incredible clarity about how to make sense of the world. I think about these first few chapters like this. I wear contacts and glasses, and when I put my glasses on at the end of the day, it's like this fuzzy, confusing, blurry world becomes clear. And to me, that's what these first few chapters of the Bible do. They, they help this confusing world um, become clear that I can see with clarity. Now, to go along with this series, there's a special event coming up I want you to be aware of. Um, on February 19th and Sunday evening um, here at Schweitzer Campus, we're going to have a special um, evening. We're calling it Christ and Culture. And this is the first of a few of these uh, kinds of events we're going to have where we want to bring folks together to spend some time um, thinking about our world and thinking about our culture as, as Christians. And so we've invited in a, a man, Professor Tracy McKenzie. He's a Mer- professor of American history at Wheaton College. Um, He wrote a book last year that both Pastor Jason and I found and and just really appreciated called We the Fallen People. And he's he's writing about the the expression of democracy. How do we think about democracy as Christians, which is a hot item in our our media and our our news today is is how do we think about democracy, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Christians. And so we're going to invite him in Sunday evening to to come and talk. And and one of the things we, we wanted to do this was to tie it into this series because This series is so much about understanding the world and how to think about the world, especially through the lens of of sin and fallenness, which is a lot of uh, Professor McKenzie's work. So I hope you'll join us. That's Sunday evening, February 19th. Really ties in well with this series. Today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And we're going to read, um, picking up really right where we left off last week. Last week, we, we saw the rebellion of the very first people, of Adam and Eve, as they chose to live their life apart from God and the consequences that came with it as they um, were to endure the, the consequences of the curse. So we're going to pick up right where that left off. And we're going to look at the decision that their rebellion has um, onto the future. And really, honestly, the next three weeks are about the, the effect that their decision has on all of humanity. And so as we, as we keep going through this. So today, it's the story of a family, a very dysfunctional family. But here's how it goes. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Now, to say that more literally from the original Hebrew is to say that Adam 
knew his wife Eve. And I know that's also the the traditional translation of uh, that word here, that Adam knew his wife Eve. And, And to be honest with you, I just, I love that translation. I think that's so good. And I know it's a euphemism, but I just, I love what it implies because Adam and Eve's relationship here is, is not just about the physical act. It's about their connection. It's about their bonding and it's about their, their intimacy. And that's something we see throughout the pages of the Bible, that, that when the Bible talks about sex, it's never just about the physical act. It's about the bonding. It's about the connection. It's about the intimacy that it creates. And when we forget that, oh my goodness, we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble, but that's, that's another sermon. So Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, a couple of things just happened here that are just absolutely uh, beautiful. First, we just saw something for the very first time in the Bible. This incredibly significant thing just happened for the very first time in the Bible. And I'm not talking about the birth of a child, which is also a significant thing. And we haven't seen that yet in the Bible. But, but rather what I, what I mean is for the very first time in the Bible, a human being says the name, the holy name of God. You see, when you're reading your English Bibles, um, you'll come across this word, Lord. And when it's in all caps, what, what I, why it's there in all caps is because it's been translated from the original Hebrew. And the original Hebrew word that's there is the, is the holy name of God. This is the name that's revealed to Moses um, as I am who I am, right? The name Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the name of God that's given to, to humans. And so there's this Jewish tradition, though, that, that you don't say this name because it's so holy. And so when, when rabbis or, or Hebrew people would be reading the Bible and they'd come across this name, they would substitute it. And they wouldn't say that name. They would say Adonai, which means Lord, as in master. And so our English Bibles translate this word as Lord, all caps though, and that's the holy name of God. And notice who says the holy name of God for the very first time. Who is the first human being to say this? It's the woman. How significant, how significant. And then there's the second thing that happens here that's also so, so significant. The woman gives credit to the Lord for the birth of this child. She says, with the Lord's help, I've brought forth a man. Now there's this rabbinic tradition that uh, when a child is born, it is born from three equal co-partners. There is the mother, the father, and the Lord. And there's so much wisdom in that because what it teaches us is that, is that uh, the, the birth of a child is a holy and sacred thing, that life is a holy and sacred thing, and the conception of life is a holy and sacred thing. This is why the Bible talks about how the Lord knits us together in our mother's womb and how we are fearfully and wonderfully made because, listen, 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 this is so important. No human being is an accident. No human being is a mistake. Life is a sacred thing. And this is what we see jumping off the page here in Genesis chapter four with this first line. So Adam knew his wife Eve. She gave birth to her, to her firstborn son. With the help of the Lord, I've, I brought forth a man. And then verse two, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And you have to love the difference between the firstborn and the secondborn. The firstborn 
Oh, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth this man. Praise be to God who has, who has blessed me in this kind of way. Look, look at this miracle that the Lord has given to me. And then the second born, oh yeah, and then his, here's his brother Abel. <laughs> I love this. Like the second born comes along. It's like, yeah, yeah, we don't have quite as many pictures of, of him as we do the first born. So now both, both sons have been born. I would keep reading here. It says, now Abel kept flocks. That is, he's a shepherd. And uh, Cain worked the soil, which is, Adam's job. So Cain is in the family business, as you might say. And then comes this pivotal moment in their life. Verse three, it says, in the course of time, uh, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, this has been long debated. Why does the Lord look with favor on Abel, but not on Cain? And I think some clues here are here, here in the Bible from the words we read here. So first of all, we read that Cain, quote, brought some of the fruits of the soil, whereas Abel brought, quote, um, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So two things to notice here. When Abel brings his, his offering, it's fat portions and it's the firstborn. The fat portions are like the best cuts. So he brings the prime cuts and he brings the firstborn. So it's not just the leftovers. So when Abel <clears throat> brings his offering, he brings his best, whereas Cain brings an offering from some of just what he has. Now it's interesting that neither um, Cain nor Abel are commanded to do this. Notice that. There's no command, there's no instruction from the Lord to bring an offering. And I don't, I don't know why they do. I don't know what the impulse is within them for them to, to think that they need to come and bring this offering to the Lord. And, and I, don't, I don't know the answer to this. This is all speculation. So you may disagree with me, but here's, here's my theory about why they felt the need to do this. I think they felt grateful. <clears throat> I think they felt a sense of, of gratitude. And, and I say that because, because this is what gratitude does is, is when you feel grateful, you're just, you're drawn to worship. You're drawn to give thanks. I think this is where generosity and giving to the Lord comes from, is that you're, you're drawn to give thanks. You're, you're drawn to acknowledge what it is that the Lord has done. And so you see these, these two brothers, and I think there's this, must be this sense of, of gratitude within them that they're, they have this, this impulse to do this. And because this is where worship and, and giving just comes from, it comes from a sense of, uh, of gratitude, it comes from a sense of gratefulness, it comes from this and this and this sense. And this is why it's good and healthy for all of us to worship and to give. And as I've said in other sermons, if you have a hard time worshiping or if you have a hard time giving, like tithing, it could be that you have a gratitude problem within yourself. But that's that's another sermon. So we we have these two brothers, they have this impulse within themselves to to give great, uh, to give to give with gratitude, to give thanks to what the Lord has done, to, to worship Him. One of the brothers gives some of what he has. The other brother gives the best of what he has. Might tell us something about their hearts. And when you stop and and, and consider what is going on here, I'm I'm going to assume that you know how the story goes that Cain is about to murder his brother Abel. So you know, spoiler alert here. But when you consider where this is about to go with murder, isn't it alarming? that the very first violent act, the very first murder comes about because of a disagreement on religion? 
Like it's a, a religious act that leads to this jealousy that leads to this, uh, to this first murder. And I think that's a, that's a really troubling and alarming thing that it all begins with a religious act. Because in some ways, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, it shows us at our very best. Here are two, two brothers giving thanks to the Lord for what he has done. But then Genesis 4 also shows us that our very worst where those same impulses lead one brother to kill another. And so we keep reading here, verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why, why would you be jealous of the, of the Lord's favor and grace given to another? Why, why would you, a creature, think that you should tell the creator how he should feel, how he should be? Keeps going here. The Lord says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, I want you to underline this if you're reading from your Bibles, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I'm going to read that line one more time. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you but you must rule over it. Now, for the very first time in the Bible, an important word was just used. We haven't seen this word yet, but for the very first time in the Bible, we just read this word, sin. Now, we've seen sin in the Bible. We've seen the disobedience and the rebellion of Adam and Eve. We've seen the consequences that, that comes with that. But for the very first time in the Bible, this word, sin, is used. And, and what does the Bible teach us here about, about this, this sin? Two things. First, that sin is seeking to own us, to master us, to devour us, right? It's crouching at the door, that's what it says. It desires to have you. And that's, that's this, this overwhelming sense of what sin does. But the second thing it teaches us is that you must overrule it. You must overcome it. That is that you have a, a choice that you can, you can choose how you live. We call that agency. You have the ability to choose which path that you're going to walk down. And so sin is going to seek to own you, but you have a decision about how you're going to live. And it may not sound like it on the surface, but honestly, both of those points are kind of controversial. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you heard someone say, hey, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm so sorry that I did wrong to you. I sinned against you. Well, obviously, never. No one talks like that. No one talks about their wrongdoing with this term sin or really, really owning it. Instead, we say things like, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry that wasn't my intentions. You know, this is how we tend to apologize. I've had, I've had multiple people sit in my office and, and, and confess infidelity to me. And they looked me in the eyes and they told me about the infidelity that's happened in their marriage. And they said, I made a mistake. And I looked them back in the eyes and I said, no, you didn't. That's not, that's not a mistake you made. A mistake is like when I spill my coffee or when I take the wrong turn or miss my turn, what you did was, was wrong. There's, there's wrongdoing that has taken place. And so it's, it's kind of countercultural to own up and to acknowledge that there is something that is wrong that we are drawn towards and that it wants to own us and devour us and, and to master us. And, and, and in the same way, this is, this is what we have with the Lord says to Cain, the second part of this. He says, you have a choice. How are you going to live? 
And again, this is, this is kind of controversial because when most people talk about their wrongdoing, if they even confess that, how often do we try to like dodge our own responsibility in that? And so we, we, we talk about how, you know, things like, you know, almost as if we become a victim of our own bad choices and we say things like, you know what, ah, I, did, I didn't want to do this. I couldn't help myself though. Or, or like, I don't, I don't know why I did that. It's like one thing led to another, led to this. And it's like, I couldn't help myself because of these, these chain of events. And this is how a lot of us talk. Like we, we start to think to ourselves like, like I, I couldn't help this. And so therefore it happened. But the truth is, no, 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 you, you had a choice in how you are going to live. You had a choice in which path that you were going to walk down. You had a choice in which, which steps you were going to take and, and you, you put yourself first. You made that choice. You chose self. You chose to hurt somebody. You chose to go down this path like you knew what you were doing. This is why I'm convinced that some of the most refreshing um, people to be around are not those who never do wrong because we all sin, but rather I think it's so refreshing when I can be around people who when they do wrong, when they sin, they acknowledge it, they confess it, and they ask for forgiveness. And this is so refreshing because most people when they do wrong, they don't do those three things. They, they dodge it, they deflect it, they justify it, they never own it, they never confess it, they never ask for forgiveness. And just, I, I think about like, what difference would it make in our relationships if we were the kind of people who instead of dodging and deflecting and justifying, we acknowledged and confessed and asked for forgiveness. Think about what difference would it make in a marriage if instead of trying to always be right or dodging and deflecting our own responsibility for problems, we acknowledged and confessed and asked for forgiveness. Or, or what difference would it make at like Thanksgiving when you have these two family members who don't want to talk to each other, be in the same room, if, if instead of you know, just being constantly angry at what the other person has done, they acknowledged and they confessed and they asked for forgiveness for, for their own part in this. I just can't help but think what difference would this, would this make? And this is something that Christians have always emphasized that when it comes to sin, our, our role in this is to understand that, that we have committed sin, that we need to therefore acknowledge and confess and to ask for forgiveness. Because when we do that, one of the things what we're doing is we're robbing sin of, a, of the power that it has over us. As long as we dodge it and deflect it and, and we try to justify ourselves, what we're doing is we're giving sin more and more power. This is why Christians have always emphasized the need to confess our sin to one another. In fact, in the Methodist movement, there are these um, small groups that historically have been in our movement called bands. And we have these in our church. People meet like this in our church where they'll meet in a small group of people, two, three, four people. And the role of this is to confess our sin to one another. Why would we do that? Well, because our natural instinct is to dodge, deflect, justify. But if we really want to master sin, we need to acknowledge, confess, and ask for forgiveness. We have to acknowledge what it is that we've done. And so Cain, how different would the story have been if, if Cain had had the self-awareness to know that his jealousy was really sinful and harmful? How different would the story have been? Well, we keep reading here, verse eight. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, 
What is this you've done? What is this you've done? Where is your brother Abel? And so you have here this incredibly tragic moment where these two brothers um, are such odds that there's blood that's been shed. And it's even more tragic when you, when you think about what we read last week. If you remember Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, they're living in this perfect relationship with the Lord and one another, and along comes this serpent, and he starts to whisper lies into their ears, these lies of temptation. And if you remember what the serpent said, one of the things he said to them was this, chapter 3, verse 4, that when you disobey God, quote, here's what the serpent said, you will not certainly die. Part of the temptation that they had here, this first temptation, is that they could live a life of immortality apart from the Lord. You turn the page, literally, you turn the page, the very next chapter, and the result of their sin is death. And, and it's death at a, at a, from not like natural causes, like Cain and Abel, you know, they're not like in a hospital surrounded by people they love at the end of their life. No, this is a violent death that comes at the hands of their firstborn. Adam and Eve wanted immortality from the Lord, but when they chose life without the Lord, the result was death. So we wonder, why is the world the way that it is? Why, why is there this fallenness? And well, the truth is that we live in a fallen world. The truth is that sin is crouching at the door of all of our hearts. And our own inclination is towards wrongdoing. It's, it's towards selfishness and violence. And I hate to tell you that, but the, that the problem of sin, this is the human condition that is true for absolutely all of us. The, the story of Cain and Abel is not just about the dysfunction between these two brothers. It's, it's how the problem of sin is crouching at the door of each one of our lives. And so we keep reading. Stay with me because it's not the end of the story, just the, the death of Abel. Verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And this is a very similar consequence that happened to Cain's father, Adam, um, in chapter 3, because all sin comes with consequences. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. In the original Hebrew, this word punishment and sin, it's the same word, because in biblical thinking, um, the two are inseparable. You could almost translate this as like, my sin is too much. I can't bear it. This is what Cain is saying here. Verse 14, the Lord, or verse 14, Cain says, Today you are driving me from the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, Not so. Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod means uh, wandering. So Cain is going to go wander east of Eden. And what we see is people are being driven further and further and further away um, from Eden. This is the ripple effect that sin has had, and it's spreading out into the world. Now, this mark of Cain has you know, long been a question. You know, what is it? What is the mark of Cain? I have no idea. No idea what the mark of Cain is. It's often thought that the mark of Cain is a, is a mark of punishment. But go read it again. That's really not what the mark of Cain is. The mark of Cain, if you'll read it again, is a mark not of punishment, but of protection. 
The murderer is being protected from murderers. The violent is being protected from more violence. So, so at the end here where, where, where Cain is, has done wrong, the Lord is showing just this gracious protection over him. And so you think, how does the Lord treat Cain, this man who has done such wrong? Well, Cain has to bear the consequences of what he's done. Certainly he does as he's driven further and further away. But, but even in his wandering and separation, the Lord is gracious to him. The Lord takes care of him. The Lord seeks to protect and provide for him. Even in our sinfulness, even in our wrongdoing, even in the ways that we choose self and choose to hurt others, even our own brokenness, the Lord never gives up on us. This is what we see here. This is the, 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 the character of God. Yes, there are consequences that we all have to bear for our own wrongdoing, but even in our sin, we still find the love of God. I think about um, something that Paul writes in the New Testament. Paul is somebody who knows a thing or two about, about being a sinner. Paul is somebody who, who understands the, uh, that uh, a little something about violence, even religious violence, because if you think about Paul's life, you know, he persecuted the church. He was personally responsible for the death of Christians. And yet what he finds is that the Lord never leaves him. The Lord still pursues him and, and the Lord still has plans for him. And so in Romans chapter um, five, Paul talks about this, this grace of God that he himself has experienced as he has committed violence, religious violence. He has harmed people. He has chosen self. And yet Paul writes these words, these profoundly mysterious and beautiful words, but he writes this, but God shows his own love for us in this. Here it is. Here is the demonstration of God's love. What does it look like? Here it is. Ready? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came after us in our sin. He came after us in our problems, in our brokenness, in our violence, in our selfishness. This is when Jesus died for us. This is the mysterious love of God that shows up in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our wrongdoing. And so when we become serious about owning our own sinfulness, when we acknowledge it and confess it, ask for forgiveness, instead of trying to dodge and deflect and justify, but when we become serious and we understand this, you know what? I am indeed a sinner. Do you know what you find? You find the grace of God. You find the mercy of God because God has already been seeking after us. And so we ask this question, why is the world the way that it is? Well, here's the truth. The world has fallen. We live on the other side of Genesis 3 and we see the effect of the rebellion of all of our hearts in trying to live a life apart from the Lord. This is the reality of life. And while we do wrong, while we hurt one another, while we choose selfishness and we all do this and we need to acknowledge it and confess it and ask for forgiveness, we also find that in the midst of our fallenness is a God who never gives up on us. A God who pursues us so much that he would give his own son for you while you were still a sinner. This is the good news of the gospel, that even in our brokenness, God comes for us and he shows us grace after grace after grace after grace. Let's pray. And so, Father, today, as we hear this story of these two brothers, dysfunctional family, we thank you that even in the midst of our sin, 
even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our brokenness, you come for us. And so today, we we don't want to dodge and deflect and justify our actions. We want to confess, I am indeed a sinner. I've hurt people. I've put myself first. I have rebelled against what God wants for me. This is the reality of my life and what my heart is inclined to. And yet at the same time, Lord, we know that you come for us, that you love us, that you never give up on us. I want to pray for anyone here who's with us today who doesn't know that love of God for themselves. May today be a day where they stop deflecting and dodging and self-justifying their actions, but instead can come honestly and humbly before you with that simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. I've rebelled against you. Would you forgive me? And in that simple prayer of faith, we find grace after grace after grace after grace. Lord, thank you that you love us even in our sin, that you come for us even in our brokenness, and that you want to give us life, life, and life. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I want to thank Corey for his announcements, Stephanie for her information about the kids' ministry, our worship team, and especially Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, I invite you to share it on social media. We really want to thank you for doing that. And now, I hope you have a great week, and I want to invite you back next week for week six of our sermon series, Why the World is the Way It Is.
done for